Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. And definitely check out those shows as well. Alison B. Hart is the author of The Work Wife, a novel. Alison B. Hart's writing has appeared in Joyland Magazine, LitHub, The Missouri Review, The Millions, The Offing, and The Florida Review. She is the co-founder of the long-running reading series at Pete's Candy Store and received her MFA from the New School. She grew up in Los Angeles and now lives in North Carolina with her family. The Workwife is her first novel, and by the way, it was nominated for a Zibby Award. You can check out the Zibby Award nominees and winners on zibbyowens.com. Welcome, Allison. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The Workwife. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I know you said you just got back from book tour, and I was just in Seattle at, where was I? I think third place books, third street books. Anyway, uh-huh. your book was featured so prominently there. So I hope you know. Oh, I don't know if yes. you ever hear or get like reports from bookstores, but they had like a whole big thing about it. So Oh, that's awesome. That's wonderful. Yeah. Bless them. 
<laughs> Time for a thank you note. No, yeah. I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Tell listeners, please, what The Work Wife is about. Sure. So The Work Wife follows three women. It's told from the perspectives of these three women who are in the orbit of this famous director slash movie mogul in Hollywood, obviously, where you find such people. And one is his personal assistant. One is his wife. And one is his ex-business partner and other types of partners. And it's set in one day. It's And it's set in 2019, kind of in the, like, well into Me Too, when we're sort of past the, like, optimistic fury of, like, we can bring the whole system down. And we're trying to figure out what the consequences will be. There's a producers conference in the morning that some of them have some business at and there's a big fundraising party slash networking party in the evening that they all have some connection to so that's what it's about amazing I love the setting of this I spend a lot of time in LA also and I know you said you grew up there but just like the day-to-day life of this family and the compound-ish place where they live and how the meetings have to happen by jumping into cars. And I don't know, it's just, it was so glam and like escapist in terms of setting and lifestyle and everything. So I just loved how you even set the whole thing up. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. It's kind of um, an unusual property. It's in Pacific Palisades where, you know, like a lot of famous movie stars have their homes and they're back, they're up on a hill backed up against um, the Santa Monica mountains. So they have all this natural area before them and they uh, behind them and they have a view of the city and of the ocean. So it's this really incredible lot. But in the back of it, behind the like showpiece mansion are all these little cottages where the personal staff does their work. So, you know, they could be doing anything with this like incredible piece of real estate they have. They could, you know, make wine and sell it, you know, (laughs) or whatever. But instead they have all their staffers kind of tucked in, like almost like in kennels, like handling their business for them. So yeah, the the setting was fun to create, but also pretty relevant to the story. Have you seen a a place like this? Like, did you model it after? No. No, I, I, I love just, these little cottages. It's it's almost like the Beverly Hills Hotel with the little bungalows everywhere, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. Same yes. uh, same concept. Same uh, concept. Yeah. Well, I love the Palisades, so this was particularly fun to read. But you also do a great job of <laughs> getting us in the point of view of the assistant and what that is like. And well, now she's more than assistant, but you know, angling for chief of staff and all of that and what it means to really run the show from morning till night. And I love how you had it in this discreet timeline because you feel like your heart pounding, like how is this all going to get done and what's going to happen? And also even shining a light on the multiple uses of some of these fundraising type events and, you know, whether they're elephants or giraffes or whatever to really make them stand out, you know, what the role of them in society and networking and and everything is too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty important for Holly, like as a host, Holly is the wife and the sort of the lady of the manor. It's pretty important for her from a hosting perspective. And this is her pet charity, Bump to Pump, which raises, you know, money and resources for low-income mothers. But like from a mathematical standpoint, like the amount of money that they are spending on this party versus what they're going to pull in. I don't know how that nets out, you know, like they come up with this jungle nursery style thing so that you have like, (laughs) Curious George and the the servers are all the man with the yellow hat and there's Sophie the giraffe and there's Babar and you know all of that 
And their drinks are Moscow mules, but they're served in these like custom cast little copper baby bottles. I mean, when I was doing my research and trying to like come up with some figure that I thought they were spending on that, like, <laughs> like on these copper baby bottles, you know, you could buy a lot of strollers for your low income mothers with that money, you know? So yeah, it was fun to just putting the party together in my mind was a lot of fun. I would like you to plan my next party. If you don't. <laughs> no, please. No. Yes. <laughs> do anymore. Yes. I want all, you don't even have to do it. You just have to send me all the ideas. The ideas. All, okay, cool. You know, not as out quite as outlandish, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, baby to baby is such a big deal out in LA with, you know, so uh, it is interesting. I took my husband to this big fundraiser in New York when he first moved to the city and hadn't been to a charity gala before. And he was just like, what? <laughs> how is this raising money? We're like at the plaza or wherever we were, you know, he's yeah, like, I don't get yeah. it. And I'm like, you no, have no, to there's... spend money to make yeah, money. Yeah. There is, there is, it does make money. And I'm, I've been involved with the galas and I know it seems crazy, but you do raise a fortune through the ticket sales and the tables and donations and sponsors and journal ads. And it, it does, but still, is there a better way to raise all that money? I don't know. Maybe they haven't found it. So yeah. Interesting. I also love the point of view of the three women and the mystery that you lace in with like, what's the relationship with this woman coming in? Who's like leaving her husband at home to dash off to this conference. Why is this so important? And how you just set the whole thing up. Tell me about how you came up with this whole story and also the different women. Like how did you like, just tell me all about, about the characters. Sure. So when I first told the story, I told it all from one point of view, and that was Zan, the personal assistant, because that's something I knew a lot about having been a personal assistant um, yeah. in my past, although this is work of fiction, completely made it up. I worked for very lovely people and I worked with lovely people. So, okay. but yeah, so I, I definitely related to her and that like the, the fr- frenetic energy that you have to have where like crazy things are being heaped on your plate throughout the day. And you just have to like keep spinning the plates, you know? (laughs) So I wrote it, I wrote the whole thing from her perspective. And then pretty much as soon as I got to the end, I knew it needed to be two perspectives because there were too many things that Phoebe, who's sort of, you know, this woman from Ted's past, there were too many things where I was sort of having to pretzel myself to get it into like, to find a reason for Zan to know that Phoebe would know this or, you know, so I went back and I, I re-outlined it and I did the whole thing as a two perspective thing. And then once my editor came on board, she said, you know, should we have Holly in there? And Holly, of course, was always a very important character, but I didn't like, originally I didn't want to be in Holly and her husband Ted's minds because I felt like, you know, they, they, they already have so much cultural power. Like, do we need to like, do we need to be in Holly's mind as well? But I did see the argument that it would be good to have, you know, one way of looking from inside this very crowded marriage that's, you know, this couple and then their 30 staffers. So then I went back and I and I added Holly's perspective, which I, I'm really glad I did. It was actually really fun and, and helpful to get yeah. her head. I loved her parts. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I like ate it up. Yeah. Just curious, was this always the title or did you change it or what? We changed it. Yeah. So when I sent it out on submission, I was calling it happy to help. 
Oh, I like that. Uh-huh. Which was, you know, uh-huh. on Zan being this personal assistant and sort yep. of like saying, cheerily saying yes to everything, but also, you know, talking about just sort of like the emotional labor that all women do, which I think is a pretty big theme in the book. But my editor suggested The Work Wife, and I think it kind of, I, I think it's better. And I think it also covers that same territory of the emotional work that women do for 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 men for their families for other women we have we got a lot of labor going on and was that one of the driving forces and sort of the reason why you've talked about this act of the man and what he you know the repercussions of someone's actions on women was that the driving where did you want to explore that as a colonel and then got the story or how did it come about yeah i mean i think that came in pretty early you know i when I was a younger writer, I don't think I worried so much about the period of time when I was setting things. And then as I got older, I felt like that's really crazy. If you don't have a pretty strong notion of like when in history this is happening, like you haven't thought something through and it just didn't feel like me anymore to do that. So I knew I was going to be setting it in Me Too and kind of still within the Trump presidency, although Trump is never mentioned, but, you know, kind of in this weird time in history. And so, you know, there's another character in the book who is, you know, a really, you know, a really vile and damaging man. Ted Stabler is not that, you know, he's not brutal. He's not violent or anything, but there's a lot of stuff that because of, because of his money and his power, he's able to get other people to handle for him and to make things very smooth for him so that he doesn't have to bother with stuff. And I think with not bothering with relationships and his impact on people, he doesn't really have to look at the consequences of what he was doing. So I, I was wanting to look at like that more subtle thing where he really could have a big impact and a damaging impact on somebody's life without being, you know, a me too monster, which Mm -hmm. he's not. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Interesting. <laughs> tell me about your, how you got here to this novel. Like, tell me about your life and where you grew up and your love of writing and reading and all of that stuff. Yeah. So I grew up in California outside of LA, not quite as far outside of LA as, uh, as Holly grew up, but that direction for sure. And, you know, I mean, I, I wrote when I was a kid, but I didn't really kind of know that I was writing with like a capital W. It was just something that I did, but I didn't really have models in my own life of like what, you know, being a writer could look like. So I just did it because it was fun. And, you know, whenever I had an extra journal lying around, I would start to write a story, very derivative things. Like, I think I wrote something that was like tales of a fifth grade, everything. (laughs) Oh, I like that. Yep. (laughs) Ah. Oh, bless Judy Bloom. So, but then we moved away when, when I was in my teen years and, and I eventually went back to California for, for college. And that's where I took my first writing class. I was pre-med and sort of getting close to needing to take like my MCATs and thinking about applying places. And I just was like putting the brakes on and knew that it wasn't right for me. And I took my first writing class and kind of changed everything for me. So So everything after that has been just like such a strange process of trying to feel, again, still feeling my way to like, what does it mean to be a writer? How do you actually do that? You know, a few years later after college, I eventually went and got my MFA, but even so, okay, great. I have this degree, but I still need to like write the book, but also like support myself. And so it was a lot of time writing, trying to like believe I could finish a book. And then when you finish a book, then trying to sell it and and having books that weren't selling, you know, like I loved them, but it's just, it's hard out there for writers. So, you know, this is not my first book, but, but I'm so happy that I kept at it because, you know, eventually, eventually one took. Yeah. I feel like you have to write at least two full novels before you can, like, I yeah. think to, to be able to do it, you have to practice. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I hear it over and over and over again. And I think the magic number is three. This is my, this is my theory. Okay. I'll go with that. Let's go with that. <laughs> How many did you write? Well, it was my fourth submission. Okay. But, you know, I think this book went out twice. And I actually, I had told, I had worked with some of these characters. And the first time that I took a crack at writing about it, I was writing about them in short stories. And I was trying to put together a, a linked collection of stories, kind of like a visit from the squad. Yeah. So that was my first iteration, which I loved. It was very different. Each story was like looking at like the theme of a marriage and what's happening in all these marriages. So you still had Ted and Holly and you had um, Zan and Gabby, but then it rippled out to all these other different characters. But yeah, it wasn't to be, you know, we already had a visit from the Ghost Squad. We did <laughs> my take on it. Shoot. She just snatched that up right, right out of your fingers, you know. <laughs> And what are you working on now? So I'm working on another novel. It's about four adult siblings because I'm sort of super fascinated in that sibling relationship, relationship I have with my siblings. Not that I'm, again, won't be about us, but I just think that's such an unusual relationship in your life. It's so pivotal. You're going to know these people your whole life, but you actually may be spending so much time with other people in your life. You know, like it's a relationship that can, can get very compressed and then can get very distant and kind of keeps doing this like accordion like thing. So it's about these four adult siblings and their father is kidnapped. They never find him. They don't know what's happened. And 10 years later, there's a new clue and they have to come together and try and find out what happened. Wow. What number are you? Are you one of four? I'm one of three. Yeah. 
So I have, I have two big brothers and I'm the baby. So in this, there's three big sisters and the boy is the baby. Just to like completely break the link in my yeah. head to, think, to me thinking I'm writing about my brothers. Let's not do that. <laughs> Interesting. And tell me about your recent book tour. What was that like? Yeah, it was fun. Where'd you go? Like, what were your... Um, so we went to New York first, which is where I lived before. I'm in North Carolina now, but before that I was in Brooklyn and my husband and I were there for a long time. So we went there and did a few readings and I did a virtual one and this day of virtual readings as well. Uh, a couple in person, one virtual. And then we came the next week we came back down here and I did a couple of readings here. So it's kind of like everywhere I'm going, I'm having another hometown launch, but like for my other hometown... Yeah. And then two nights ago, I went to Tulsa and I did a reading there because uh, in high school, that's where my family lived. That's so, yeah. So that was really fun and a blast from the past too. What ideas do you have about book touring? I've been thinking a lot about this, having just like done a few events for my own book and how we can like mix things up. I mean, I feel like sometimes I go to these events or I travel or whatever, and it's like, not that many people show up maybe, or not that, I don't don't know. I'm like, is this efficient? Is this a good use of author's time? Yeah. I don't know. What do you think about touring and yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because, you know, back in the day, people used to have these very long tours and went all over. And now it's, you know, your, my house at least really wants to have a tighter focus on these things. And I do think it's a lot of um, going places where you have connections and you can have your friends come out and support you. Yeah. You know, like Tulsa was the like the one wild card on my tour where we where I added it kind, kind of because I really wanted to just try and see what happened. I had called the bookstore just to introduce myself and and let them know, like, you know, I grew up out there. And they said, oh, well, you know, you should come. And I thought, gosh, is this going to be okay, will I have enough people come out? But they told me they had some pre-orders for it, probably from my friends. You right. know? <laughs> but I was like, okay. And I guess I just thought of it as like, let me with my first book, like start to build a relationship with this city, you know? Yeah. And I will say there, there is always somebody in the room that I didn't bring there. You know, it's mostly a lot of people that I know from one corner of my life or another, but there's always somebody that, that is coming. And so, I don't know, I used to run a reading series in Brooklyn for a really long time. So I, in that place, we were, we were in a bar. And so we had a lot of people that were coming, not because they had a relationship with that writer, just because, you know, you want to sit in that dark space and like have somebody tell you a story where there's reading and, you know, it, there was something really just sort of sacred about that kind of community. So I don't know. I'm interested in this too. These, these, I think these one author events can be kind of like hit or miss with who's going to come, but there's something about being in a room and being together with other readers and yes. hearing stories that's still really special. So I hope we keep it. Yeah. Some iteration of it for mm-hmm. sure. No, I think there's power in getting people together. For sure. Especially now. Yeah. Yeah especially now. It just seems inefficient that we're all like racing around trying to capture readers. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. like all, I, I'm like, you know, those lines that used to be in old airplane magazines where you would yes. see the flights like all crisp. Yeah. Or like in Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It just seems like there should be better ways to yeah. resources, but anyway. Yeah. And you're traveling a lot. Not too, I mean, not too much. I'm, I'm mostly done everything else I can drive to, but I did a few trips, but also it's also fun. Like I had never been to 
Nashville and Seattle. And, you know, like it was just fun for my husband and me to go and check it out and, yeah, you know, meet other people and yeah, connect with friends. And yeah, so there's a lot of other, you can't just go for like the one event, right? right. Ha- there has to be something else behind it. So for your next book, are you alternating viewpoints again with the siblings? Yeah. I will. I like, I like that style that works really well for me. Not to say I'll always do it. And I know that there's like a trade-off that you make, you know, when you're, when you're with one character the entire time, but you know, the thing that I started with that, like with the way I started putting stories together when I was a kid was honestly soap operas. I was like a huge soap opera nut. And I just like, I loved like there being this cast of characters that were around town. And each day when you would tune in, there would be a certain subset of people that you were going to be looking at, that you didn't get to choose who they were. And then, and the, you know, from commercial break to commercial break, you would flip back and forth to them. And then the next day it'd be a slightly different mix of who the characters are. And I think my brain just kind of responds to that. So yeah, for this one with the siblings, it just feels really natural that I would be spending time with each of the four siblings. Yeah. Did you read uh, Jonathan Tropper's This Is Where I Leave You? No. You should read that. Does that do it too? It's about four adult siblings who go back home. It's their, I think it was their father. I read it a long time ago. I think their father passed away and they were home for the Shiva and Uh it takes place over the Shiva, but it was a lot about relationships of adult yeah. siblings. And yeah. I don't know if it makes me think of that. I'm reading Dava Shastri's Last Day right oh, now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. Which also has the four siblings. Like, you know, that, that one goes really in and out of people's heads all the time. It's almost like Mrs. Dalloway, where you can go in and out of her head and then the person walking by her in the park and then you come yep. back to her. So yep. um, it's less regimented, but it's, it's really fun. Very cool. And what do you do when you're not working? Well, I have a daughter. And I have a dog and I feel like I'm going wherever they lead me. (laughs) (laughs) So when, um, while I was away on this last, um, tour stop, my daughter, who's like in the doldrums of summer, got really into like chores, like, okay, well, give me some chores and I'll do the chores. And so this morning she set her alarm at 6am and she got up and she like made everybody breakfast and she made me tea. And how how old is she? She's 11. Okay. All right last for like two days. And then she like put all, she started to unpack my stuff and put my toiletries where she thought I would need them to like, and, and kind of was like, okay, get up. Okay. Go get dressed your clothes over there. Go, go, go. And so I think it's just, I I just, I follow the dictates of my daughter. (laughs) I love that. Oh my gosh. I have not had any of my kids do anything like that. So I'm going to have to tell them. Like, here's my suitcase. Let's let's get yeah. going here. Yeah. Here's a fun game. Let's unpack mama. Yeah. <laughs> really fun. Okay. So what advice do you have for aspiring authors? Yeah, I guess the is just, I mean, you've said it too. Like it takes practice. Like it just takes time. I think that thing that Ira Glass says is really helpful to like keep in mind, which is there's going to be a gap when you start between like what you, the vision you have in your mind and your ability to like, reproduce that. But even with practice, like it will always be a little bit different than how you pictured it, but that can still be sort of wonderful. And, you know, I, I'm somebody who I'm sort of up for revising all the time. Like if, if there's a good idea, I want to try and incorporate it. I, I won't revise just for revision's sake and to do something that's away from taking me away from what my goal was with the book. But I think, you know, just knowing like there's a certain, I can get the book so far on my own and be like, okay, I did everything that I knew how to do. And then you give it to a reader and like having that discussion with the reader about it 
inevitably produces more ideas and helps me realize like, oh, okay, right. I meant to do that, but I don't think I quite did it the way quite right if you're seeing this other thing. So just finding people that can, that can, you know, you, you can give your work to at the right time when it's done, when you've done everything that you can, because there'll always be another round that you can come, come back to with it and make it better. Awesome. Well, Allison, thank you. Thank you for the work life. Really fantastic. And it was so nice to meet you. Yeah. Nice to meet you too. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.